Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Australian Open quarterfinals catch-up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Magdalenette's dream run continues. Novak Djokovic strolls into the semi-finals. And Elena Rabakina sets up a showdown with Victoria Azarenka. Kim, Chris, today is the 25th of January and we are here to catch up on the Australian Open quarterfinals at Tennis Weekly HQ. We now have our semi-finalists set. Magda Lynette, of all people, is there. We've also got Novak Djokovic, who has destroyed another player in the draw, this time Andrei Rublev. Whenever will he get to a Grand Slam semi-final? And we've got a very tasty showdown between Victoria Azarenka and Elena Rabakina. That is the oldest Grand Slam champion left in the ladies' draw and the youngest Grand Slam champion left in the ladies' draw. So a very tantalising matchup there. And guys, we are recording 15 minutes earlier today because Chris... You have explicitly, explicitly messaged us on the group because you've got a cinema, you've got a cinema date this evening. I, I do indeed. And um, I do apologize for the 15 minutes early that you did get here. And then I still was not on time. I don't know about you, Kim, but I am not, I'm not happy about that. I can only assume you're going to watch some RT Danish film with, with English subtitles. I'm hoping I don't understand anything about it. And that's how you can tell it's a good film in Denmark, I think. So um, I will happily provide a review next time. And then maybe that will make up for the 15 minutes that you had to start a bit early on this one. I just hope it's going to be a Scandi crime drama, a bit of uh, Scandi noir, because that's still, I think, is that still popular, those sorts of things? I'd like to think Not they are. Not popular in Denmark, I uh, found out, but very popular oh. outside of Denmark, particularly oh. in the home counties. Very popular <laughs> subtitle drama. And on, and on BBC4 rather than on the big screen. BBC4, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're not here to talk about BBC4, are we, guys, uh, unfortunately, um, unless tennis goes on to BBC4 at some point. Uh, but at the moment, it's kind of on Netflix and Discovery um, and whatnot. But let's let's talk about the quarterfinals, because we are here to catch up before Chris goes to the cinema um, to talk about uh, all the quarterfinal action from Melbourne. Um, let's start with the men, shall we? Um I feel like we should maybe just get one particular match out the way because, I mean, it was kind of done and dusted before it the ever really... The writing was on the wall before started. they went out, wasn't it? 
if this was a film, the plot would be kind of rubbish, I think. Um, and the match we're talking about is Novak Djokovic against Andre Rublev, which was just a bit of a one-sided affair, to say the least. Um, Joel, do you want to kick us off and, and give us your synopsis of the Djokovic-Rublev encounter? Yeah, I mean, Djokovic really just picked up, I feel, where he you know, he left off against Alex de Menor. Andre Rublev, I don't think he really did much wrong, to be honest. Um but Djokovic was just on another level and um, there were no, again, no real signs of, of injury. Yes, his leg was taped up, but it didn't really inhibit his movement. And um, yeah, he got the job done very, very, very convincingly. 6-1, 6-2, 6-4. Rublev really kind of felt a bit sorry for him, a bit powerless, I think, to to really kind of do anything. You could see him kind of getting increasingly frustrated as the match went on. And even though he had a few breakpoint opportunities Djokovic really I feel is just coming into his own um you know at the you know the business end of the tournament yeah he's really gone from strength to strength um you know since the since the early mm. rounds where we had question marks over his leg um this was just a, an absolute kind of obliteration um you know he was I, I mean it doesn't I don't think it was helped by the fact that his opponent as competent and consistent and and you know highly ranked as Rublev is has never won a Grand Slam quarterfinals. And we were saying before that none of us thought he really had the weapons to, to sort of really challenge Djokovic. So I think the matchup was just sort of kind of terrible on all fronts for giving us a close encounter. And I I was hoping Rublev could could do a bit more, but everything he did was just nullified by Djokovic um, and his defence. And, you know, with Rublev not having the kind of killer, killer weapons, it was... It was really just, um, I guess, only one outcome. Um, there was arguably more drama with with fans and, and whatnot, wasn't there, Chris? There was um, some hecklers going on, some flag uh, encounters, which uh, didn't go down too well. What did you make of, of all the sort of off-court um, stuff that was going on, Chris, in, in this match? Well, I think um, if there was any good intention to it it was just because Rublev needed a distraction or Novak Djokovic to be distracted um at uh well during any of the points because as you say like it was a bit of a a mass destruction in, in this sense but um it's you always get kind of at grand slams you get these sorts of situations and um it's always tricky for for kind of the officials to know what to do um but it's not something you ever want to see and you kind of want to keep the conversation focused on on the tennis, because I think we can all agree that with the, the banning of Russian uh, Russian players at Wimbledon, it hasn't necessarily had the positive effect um, that kind of that Wimbledon was hoping for. So uh, try and keep politics out of tennis would be my um, my preference there. I mean, do you think, you know, I think it was interesting to hear from Victoria Azarenka, which we'll, we'll get on into, into, into the second half, her talking about like this need or heroes and, and villains in, you know, in, in kind of tennis and, and in kind of just general sport narrative in the news. And as a result of that feeling that, you know, at, you know, Novak Djokovic is this, is this villain. And that's why we're seeing some hecklers, um, you know, in the crowd. We've seen, you know, more than, on more than one occasion, Djokovic talk to the umpire telling them to kind of hear what they're saying and you know get security on them get them out of here do you feel like Djokovic is being unfairly kind of painted um as a, as a villain and you know we shouldn't really be kind of 
looking at it from that kind of standpoint, um, I think in Azarenka's words, she was like, a lot of people see us as kind of like superheroes. No, we're kind of humans and we just want to go about our, our kind of day job. Do you feel like it's unfair to see kind of Djokovic get these hecklers, um, you know, when he steps out onto the tennis court? I think it is unfair. I mean, <laughs> if I'm doing my job, I don't want to have people like having a go at me. Like I want everyone to treat me with respect regardless of what I may or may not have done or what's going on in the world. So I don't think it's really appropriate, whatever the setting. But Chris, maybe you, um, well, maybe you've got a different angle. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think it's part of obviously what comes with celebrity is that you are unfortunately opened up to criticism. Um and I think that the villain sort of aspect of things, I don't think Nadal is necessarily painted out as a villain in those ways or Federer necessarily, unless you kind of um, have something against like good sportsmanship and kind of staying out of controversy. Uh, I think of some of the, the big names, there is slightly more, um, uh, there's slightly more debate around Djokovic in terms of his intentions at certain times. Uh, I do think that when it comes to the point about the superheroes, it's actually quite um, ironic because the WTA actually did do a whole superhero-themed um, year of um, on the tour where they all got sort of dressed up with capes. And the idea was that they were these super, super women. Um, so I think it is something where tennis has played into it before. I think there was a US Open where they kind of gave everyone personal branding. That obviously takes the human element out of it, but... I mean, at the end of the day, like if someone is distracting you or, or people are criticizing you whilst you're playing, um, that will affect your game and that's what you're there to do. So that shouldn't be allowed. And if someone is doing that, they should be removed. Um, but I do think that the nature of having favorites and, and all of that, that's it's a, be a bit naive as a ranker to think that you wouldn't have people that you really like and really don't like. But to take it personally would be sort of where I'd say the issue would be. And if you're reading into it too much as a player, but that's my take. Yeah, I mean, let's let's look at the other quarterfinal from the men's side today because we had two Americans taking part, um, both at this stage of Grand Slam for the first time. So, going to have a new semi-finalist regardless. Um, Tommy Paul, slightly more experienced than the very young Ben Shelton, um, and I, I guess this maybe came came out the way we we kind of expected. I wasn't too surprised by the the scoreline or, or the result myself. Um, Tommy Paul winning in four sets, um, seven six six three five seven six four. So Shelton managing to to grab that third set there, um, to 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 force to force a fourth. Oh, that's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? Force a fourth. Um, but yeah, I mean Tommy Paul through to his first semi final. Ben Shelton's kind of dream run is is over on his debut down under. Um, Chris, what what did you make of this this encounter? And do you think, after what you've seen of Tommy Paul in this match and prior, that he has got anything to challenge Novak Djokovic, given Djokovic's form uh, going into the semi? I would try and be sort of an optimist on this, but trying it's really, hard. It's really hot, Kim. <laughs> I'm trying I feel really like hard. You've, you've, you found it really hard to say that with a straight face. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe the listeners could could hear that too. <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't want to be. You know, like down in the dumps about Tommy Paul I, I you know it's, it's not over yet I think you know the fat lady isn't song he's still he's still in it so say yeah, no more. I mean that's <laughs> that's quite positive I'm going to go one more positive than Kim here and say that maybe um he'll be inspired by the fact that he has no expectation and he hasn't actually played a very high-ranking opponent that he will 
somehow just level up and produce something truly magical. But I think when we start looking at this, the format of five sets, and it just seems so unlikely that someone who was pushed quite quite far by sort of um, Ben Shelton is going to be able to do some damage to, to Novak Djokovic. There was one um, theory, though, that I was going to raise for Djokovic, was that the more injured he is, the more aggressive he is. And he's playing very aggressive tennis, maybe to try and keep it, uh, the points as short as possible and the match as short as possible. So to borrow the Sharapova phrase of extremely injured, do we think that the injury is has fully gone away or do you think that he's been forced to play in a way that minimizes the effect the injury has? Because that's the hope for Tommy Paul is that the bandage is back on, it's just, he's strapped up and to make those points mm. as long as possible. That's the only thing you can hope for. Joel, I mean, do you want to add anything further or are we kind of all in agreement to the fact that Tom, Paul's got to hope for a bit of a well, miracle? I, before, I feel like before we get on to talking about Tommy Paul Novak Djokovic, I think it's just, um, you know, we've got to appreciate or recognise how well Tommy Paul has done to get to the semi-finals because I feel like he's quite a, I want to say, quite an unfancied of the, the Americans. I know there's been a lot of hype in terms of all of the the Americans in the in the top fifty at the moment, and I certainly think you know there's a lot big spotlight kind of put on players like Taylor Fritz and Francis Tiafo, who are already kind of well set and ready made for the tour. And then you've got underneath that players like Jensen Brooksby and Ben Shelton, who are sort of making their way and finding their feet. And then I feel like then you've got people like Tommy Paul who have been on the tour and and I've been very, very kind of consistent, I feel. Um, and I think this is kind of just, just rewards really as, you know, Grand Slam semi-finalist at the Australian Open. I know it's probably going to be a surprise to a lot of people, but, you know, I think about Kyle Edmund, Aslan Karatsev as well, who have been surprise semi-finalists at the Australian Open. So, you know, it has, has happened before. And, you know, his, 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 his interview afterwards, I think he's such a, He's such a humble guy, and I think he, you know, he talked about his mum. I think had come over from uh, United States after the fourth round to watch his performance. So, you know, very, very nice, I think, to to see. And um, yeah, although I think he's been overlooked, arguably at times. I think you know, back to the Labour Cup, actually. Um, you know, would it have been wise to have the Tommy Paul in the team? Um, I think it's nice that he's kind of getting the recognition at the moment. Do you think that Tommy Paul believes he can he can win though, Joel? That's my thing. You said humble. We talked about kind of player attitudes before, kind of with Casper. But do you think he's more of a? It kind of gives me a competition sort of winner. You know, he's got he's got lucky with the draw. He's got to semi-finals, and he's kind of just happy to have got there and to step on court. And he does seem like a nice chap. But yeah, it, I don't think that he has that right. My my competition is still going. I've got my eye on the trophy, you know? I don't think he has that. And that's, I just think that's a, I mean, a bit frustrating when just happy to be here. And I think, well, it's not over. There's much more to come. Yeah, I know I know what you mean. It's sort of kind of like the cool Californian, like Mardi Fish, like I'm just here and I'm just going to go with it kind of mentality. I and... believe it. Like I, I can believe it. You've won the matches. Each match you've mm. won, <laughs> you know? I guess it's hard to put that out of your mind, given, yeah, he wouldn't have been expecting, I feel, to make a, a, a Grand Slam semi-final, you know, at the start of, you know, at the start of the tournament. Um, but I guess that's what he, I think that's what he is going to have to do. Um, as much as that might be, I feel like his instinct, um, 
he's going to try and have to, I think, put that aside and be like, look, everyone here is thinking I'm probably making up the numbers when I'm playing Novak Djokovic in a Grand Slam semi-final. I think I read the other, I think I read after Novak Djokovic's win that he hasn't lost in Melbourne once reaching the semi-finals. So it is a, it is a very, very tall order. And arguably, you know, he's going to hope that the Djokovic, the Djokovic Brody breaks down, you know, breaks down. And I think in that matchup, because I think that is probably the only way he has got a realistic chance of winning that match is if the Djokovic Brody breaks down on him. There are more concerns and kind of growing pains. And that maybe is, is, is his opportunity. But I feel like, make no mistake, he's going to have to play absolutely out of his skin. And just a note on Ben Shelton before we look at the other men's uh, quarters. Uh, where do you think uh, he's going to... Uh, what do you think the rest of his year shapes up like after reaching the quarters here? Where do you think his ranking's going to be, say, this time next year, based on what we've seen throughout um, this tournament with, with him coming through the draw? Joel? Um, yeah, I could see him, you know, maybe in the next gen finals um, yeah. at the at the end of the season. I think, you know, there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of talk about him being a future, future top 10 player, maybe even a, a top five player. I think, you know, he should, he will do very well, I think, to kind of put that noise aside and just kind of get back to the tour and kind of focus on his game. I think, you know, with the Sunshine Double coming up in Indian Wells and Miami, he's going to feel right at home there. Um, and I think that's also going to be really great in terms of capitalizing on this Grand Slam breakout. The fact that he's got these big home profile tournaments coming up, he can kind of, I think, establish his image a bit more. But um, yeah, I kind of see, yeah, who knows, potentially a next gen finals champion um, at the end of the season, I think is is what I would say his ambition should be. I think there's opportunities, of course, to you know, win a first ATP singles title as well. But yeah, I really think that the sky's the limit at the moment for him. Couldn't have put it better myself. I mean, just a note on American tennis, because obviously we had three Americans in the quarterfinals here, which was the first time at the AO mm. since 2000. And Tommy Paul making it through to the semis, he's the first guy to do that since 2009 in Australia. And he's only the third um, American currently playing on tour to have got to the semis of a slam. And the other two being TFO, obviously quite recently, and also John Isner. So he, you know, regardless of the outcome against Novak, he should be very, very proud of getting to this stage because it, you know, has been quite few and far between uh, for the Americans since the likes of Andy Roddick. Did you know, though, Kim and Chris as well, I didn't realise this about Tommy Paul, that he played a match at the US Open back in 2017 with Steve Johnson in the doubles, he played it drunk or at least very, very hungover. I don't know if any of our, our listeners are aware of this, but uh, <laughs> to be honest, to me, it makes him even more even more likable, actually. But um, they lost a match six love, six love, 35 minutes against Bolelli and Fornini. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he played a singles match the day before, lost, really hated his performance went on a bit of a bender and not great, but uh, yeah, it sort of makes him, makes him more endearing to me, actually. Blimey. I mean, let's hope he doesn't do that before the semi-final. Uh, or maybe that might be the secret <laughs> strategy. Who knows? Yeah, get some, get some Dutch courage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Play out his skin, literally, yeah. I mean, um, so we also had, um, obviously, two of the men's quarterfinals yesterday, which were 
both quite straightforward matches. Um, it's, it's generally been quite an underwhelming uh, set of quarterfinals. You know, I think it's fair to say. Um, let's start with Stefano Sitspas against Yiri Lahechka. This was straight sets to Sitspas. Uh, Sitspas is back into the semi-finals here yet again. Um, he's very, very consistent in Melbourne uh, in recent years, and he's uh, yeah, he's he's doing the magic down under again. Um, he's also not lost a singles match um, yet this season. He's nine and zero, uh, which is yeah, very encouraging for him to to go even further. Um, Chris, what did you make of of Sitspas in in this one? It was straight set six three seven six six four. Um, Perhaps a bit closer than the main big scoreline suggested. Um, but what, what do you make of, of Sitspas kind of going into the the final four? And, and, you know, what did you make of Yuri Lehechka as well? Obviously, first stage, uh, first time at this stage for him as well. Lehechka, I thought, played really well. But I think the positive side of this was that Sitspas played as well as I've seen him play. I mean, he played the big points particularly well. And he saved all eight break points he faced. Uh, and that's not always been the case with him. I think he's sometimes been a bit um, up and down. He's sometimes kind of got a break and then been broken back. Uh, and it shows that something's kind of shifted, I think, um, in his mentality. And I think I said that at the start of the year, that he feels different in some of these close contests. And last year, I think I think he felt a little bit, oh, well, I don't know how he felt, but he, my perception was that he was a little bit lost in terms of his direction, where he fitted in. Um, in terms of some of the younger players were coming up. Uh, and obviously he was the big young hope. But for this match, I think what could have been a situation where Lehechka was playing completely kind of without any form of pressure on himself. Um, like the, the Greek in this match, I thought he played fantastically. Um, and some of the rallies and some of the shots he hit in his backhand were rock solid um, and even on, on the big points. So I think we all thought he might be edging his way towards a final, but it's a lot easier for us to predict that than for him to actually actually do that. And if I have to, I don't know, this, I'm allowed to say this, but I'm kind of rooting for him because I think I would like to see someone like Sitsipas get a Grand Slam start of the year and then we can see if Djokovic, obviously he might come through in lots of different um, slams as well. But I just think we need a bit of a... Um, a bit of a mid-genner, a mid-genner. So is that, is that kind of, is that a technical a term? Now-genner. Maybe not, but yes, we need <laughs> someone to, someone who's been, uh, wasn't on Netflix, but could have been to, <laughs> to, to get one. The only thing I would be worried about with, with Sissipas, and I think you, you just mentioned it was the fact that he was eight for eight on, on break points. And to me, it was a little bit, there were times that I was thinking, was Lehechka getting, was he finding too much value on the on the Sissipas serve? And I can imagine, for example, if it's Sissipas Djokovic, um, you know, in, in in a Grand Slam final, if he's given Novak Djokovic eight great point chances on his service games, you know, it's going to be a lot harder. I feel him for him to, you know, save a hundred percent of those, which was you know fantastic against Lehechka. But for me, I'm just a little bit worried, maybe about how vulnerable his service games are. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. Um, I think for me, the positive I took from it was the fact that he didn't kind of get broken. Uh, but we've seen in the matches they played previously that Djokovic, I mean, he's obviously got the better head-to-head um, and it would be a very different situation. We've got the French Open final. Obviously, he wants something to be um, a point to be proven. Maybe it could be a positive way of thinking about that. So I think the big question is if he gets the final, if he's able to to bring a level that obviously doesn't give Djokovic opportunities because we know that he is one of the best at taking them. And also, actually, just just on that, because although it was 
straight sets. And although on paper it looked very easy, there were moments where Sissipas did get hot under the collar. And there is a video of him hitting a ball at the you know the back of the court um, onto the wall as a ball boy was kind of running forward to kind of col- I think um, collect the ball after a, a point had been played and. I think it was uh, Jim Courier who who said on commentary that he was Sissipas was not very far away from hitting that that ball boy in a similar sort of fashion that you know Novak Djokovic did um, you know at the, at the U.S. Open to a line judge. Um, so for me, though, I guess there is also that there is still that question around his temperament that even though it was a straight sets victory and looked relatively easy on paper, he still have these moments to potentially self-combust and again that could play into someone else's you know some you know his opponent's hands maybe in a, in the semi-final or a final yeah i mean we've seen it before and we've seen um he actually there's that video where he kind of swung his racket and he actually uh struck his father um on court when on court coaching was allowed and i, I again i think joe that's, that's a really good point because how you respond to being broken in those moments is also as important as um, whether you're able to save them and if he had been broken we don't know how he would have responded so I think that would be interesting to see kind of in, in a semi-final um, if it doesn't all go his way and he isn't eight from eight um, what that looks like for him and let's let's look at that semi-final because he will be playing Karen Hatchinov who came through against Seb Korda uh, Korda retiring in the third set uh, after being three love down with a right wrist injury Um such a shame for Sebastian Corder because he was obviously looking really good throughout this tournament, had a great start to the season. Um, and I mean, I had predicted him for the semi-final, so uh, it's a bit, a bit of a shame uh, just generally that he wasn't able to to continue in the match. Um, obviously, he was out a long time last year with injury and to sort of get to this point and, and have to succumb to injury is just, yeah, really really not great he, he did say he had a, a little bit in Adelaide a couple of weeks ago and then it then it went away but um it bothered him from from the second set onwards uh Joel I'm mean, obviously this was seven to six six three three love in the end um Corda retiring what what did you make of the match up to the point of of kind of Corda feeling this yeah. wrist kind of coming to the fore again yeah I mean it's been very impressive couple of weeks from from Karen Kachinov now back to back semi-finals um, at Grand Slam following US Open at the end of last season. And I thought, particularly in this match, um, he played very well. I think he used the angles across the court to his advantage, particularly on the serve and on his forehand from the baseline. I also thought he was helped a little bit by Corder's backhand uh, breaking down more often than we've seen. And, you know, that I think is to be expected when you've got little wrist injury niggle, which I think was a... You know, it was a shame, but, um, yeah, really, really good from, from Kachinov. And something that caught me out, uh, a little bit with Daniel Medvedev now falling outside of the top 10 and Karen Kachinov on the rise. Um, we could be looking at like a, a new Russian male number one that isn't Daniel Medvedev, which is a, sort of surprising to me because I still feel that Daniel Medvedev's level of tennis is a lot higher than, than Karen Kachinov's, but, Maybe I'm 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 not giving Kachinov enough again enough of credit here, and actually, the, that gap I think is is significantly uh, smaller than I think me and maybe arguably some of our our listeners may be giving it credit for. He's one win away in the live rankings from yeah. returning to be the yeah the Russian number one. So that is um, a bit of a surprise I think because they've had very different 
very different paths, you know, in terms of the person we thought when they burst on the scene would probably be a Grand Slam champion, would probably have been Kachanov at the time. And then Medvedev has kind of plugged away um, to get himself into great opportunities before he was able to take one. So that is quite surprising. Is it harsh to think, even if Kachanov goes above Medvedev, I still... If I had like a Davis Cup tie the next day, I'd still want to put Medvedev as my number one, if I'm being really honest. If Kachanov wins the Australian Open, would you still think that? Ooh. Is he really going to win, though, with Novak Djokovic in the draw? No, I mean, okay, let's... let's... Well, maybe, maybe, <laughs> well... maybe. Anyone could do anything. Anyone could win. Anyone can lose. I mean, Medvedev is... Djokovic. <laughs> I suppose if Kachanov won, he'd also be a Grand Slam champion. This all becomes very hypothetical. But yeah, I'd still, at the moment, I'd still put Medvedev same um above uh, i think you know he's more reached reached the more last stage finals of Rams yes. more often um but just fell early here but i mean i expect for me i think sitspass will probably get the edge you know he's more experienced he's been to a grand slam final before um loves these courts and yeah i still i'm gonna i'm gonna go for sitspass um We'll we'll look at predictions later on today. We'll do a you know if you've got more time to think um, before we get on to who we're actually picking and plunging for. But um, yeah, such a shame for Corda. He had a great tournament. Um, but you know, Karen Hatchoff, one of those players that sort of is there or thereabouts. I, I always think and is very capable and capable of. of he always asks the question, doesn't he? Yeah, big upset on his day. He's one of those players you don't really want to face. I think um, he's a bit of a danger man at times and. Here he is into the semi-finals. So, you know, good for him. Absolutely. Um, on that note, let's have a very quick break now, but we'll be back shortly to discuss the ladies' quarterfinals action from day nine and ten. So do not go anywhere. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to Tennis Weekly, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to look back at the ladies' quarterfinals from the last two days. Uh, Joel, I know you're really excited. Um, we're going yes. to kick off with your favourite, or your new favourite. Uh, stayed up late for this last night. 
<laughs> with uh, Magda, what do you like to call her? Goat net. Um, goat net train is still moving, Kim. It's in the semifinals. <laughs> is that your new Twitter handle, Joel? <laughs> well, I should have got it. I should have. I'm going to assume someone, some bright spots probably already gone for it. But um, yeah, the, the Plishko bot is definitely a passenger now on the goat net, goat net steam train. Well, yeah, the, the train's been picking out quite a lot of people, I have to say, <laughs> stopping at lots of players. Yeah. Um, so Magdalene, yeah, through to the fir- her first Grand Slam semi-final. She beat Pliskova 6-3, 7-5. Uh, she continues to upset the seeds that she seems to come across. Um, yeah, took just under an hour and a half to, to remove Pliskova from the draw in straight sets. And, uh, well, I mean, I, I f- obviously, Joel, you're, you're extremely happy. Chris, Chris, you know, you're our sort of resident WTA expert. Before the Australian Open, you know, what did you know about Magdalene? Was she really on your radar? What what was your impression? Would you have ever considered that she had the game to to make it to a semi-final here? Well, I would describe her game. She's super handy. She's very competent. um, And she does have a game where you can see her causing upsets. But they tend to have been uh, isolated incidents such as at last year's French Open. I mean, I did think she would actually take out ons in that one. And she's had these sort of scalps throughout her career, but she's never necessarily uh, backed them up. And I think that's one of the, the trickiest parts of kind of life on tour is that there are a lot of players, and we've seen this with Grand Slam champions in the last couple of years, a lot of players who on their day can, can beat anyone. Um, and players who haven't necessarily had experience at this level before. So it almost feels like it was, uh, yes, it was a surprise, but there's always been that potential there. And I think the the impact that Iga has had on Polish tennis, I think when we were in the press conferences um, in Glasgow and the number of times Lynette was asked the question about Iga not being there and, and Lynette said, I've, I've played number one for my country for, for a really long period of time and I'm, I've done it before, I'll do it again. And it was almost like she had a point to prove. And I think now after the United Cup and playing together, it feels like less of a point to prove, but more the fact that they're kind of all doing it together, like her catch herself and, and eager. And it feels like it's a great time for Polish tennis and the success of eager has actually really spurred her on and lifted, lifted her kind of in a slightly um, later part of her career. So uh, not, not unbelievably surprised given some of the results, but if someone said, would I predict her for a semi-final, I would have to very um, uh, clearly say, no, I did not see this coming. Yeah. I do think in this match against Pliskova, when she plays these really big hitters, she is very, very good at using that pace and redirecting the ball. And I think with Pliskova, we know her movement is not the greatest. And I think Lynette really exploited that in, in this matchup. And yes, I think she was helped by the number of unforced errors that Pliskova made. Her serve wasn't as good as I think it needed to be. But the way I think Lynette has that added variety where she can really kind of soak up those big ball strikers and move them across the court. And that, I think, has been complemented by a serve actually throughout the, the, the tournament, which is which has done well, considering her, you know, considering her size. Cause she's not the most imposing type of tennis player on, on the tennis court. But yeah, for me, those were kind of a couple of the factors that I think, yes, it might have felt like a surprise, but um, actually she put a really, really good strategy together. And, um, you know, we've seen before, I think it, this match and this run that she's been on when she's been taking out seed after seed after seed, it really has reminded me, I think, of Leila Annie Fernandez's run back in the, you know, the US Open when, you know, she got to the final 
um, you know, against against Emma Raducanu, it sort of reminds me of that kind of yeah, I'm going in as the underdog, but uh, I'm going to prove everyone wrong, and she is just bringing up and building up belief, you know, with round after round. But she is the ultimate underdog still because everyone else left in the draw is is higher ranked and 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 seeded. So, um, Lynette, you know, if that works for her, then maybe it will, it will continue to work. Um. Yeah, she she said though that she just didn't. She tried not to panic. Um, just went for it um, when she had the, the chance to do so. And I think you know that obviously paid off. And she's in the form of her life. So um, really, really good stuff. And who would have thought that she it would be her um, as as a as the Polish player in the semi-finals? All expecting it to be Iga Świątek, but the Polish fans will be happy nonetheless. I'm sure because of of, of Lynette's. Um, and her run. And she will go on to face Arena Sabalenka, who uh, came through against Donna Vekic. Another big ball striker. Yeah, another big ball striker. Um, this match was um, a- another straight sets victory, um, 6-3, 6-2. So Sabalenka into now her fourth Grand Slam semi-final. So a lot more experienced than Magda Lynette at this stage. Um, she is also, uh, like, like Sitspas, un- unbeaten this year. Um, she's, she's now on nine and O for the season. Um, so she's also yet to drop a set at this tournament. Um, or even in this year, I don't think she's lost a set at all in 2023. Um, looking at those stats, Chris, do you think Sabalenka is, is the one to beat? She's had an almost <laughs> perfect start to the season. Is Magdalenette, you know, going to upset that, that record given what we saw of Sabalenka against Donna Vekic? I mean, never. I will never bet against um, Goat Net on this podcast because <laughs> um, I would like yeah, to continue doing it. you've got me to answer it. for. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. But... um. But no, I think the game that uh, Sabalenka is bringing to the court is just so big that it's almost like whatever's on the other side of the net, it's not on their racket. It's on hers. Even if she it's a kind of does... upgrade, isn't it? Oh, it's it's so. I mean, yeah. I mean, she can do everything, and if she does it well, it's almost a bit like when Serena or someone would say, "If I'm playing my best tennis, I can beat anyone." And I feel like that's very much the Sabalenka story right now. Um, I would love to be able to bring a stat to you that if she does go all the way and win this, that she probably would have spent less time on the court than Andy Murray because I did see that Djokovic has now, despite playing two more matches, he has been on court for exactly two hours less than Murray was. So at this rate, Sabalenka, she must have loads of time left in terms of um, kind of coming in in under 12 hours and 16 to win the title. So that's the stat I would like to bring you. And I'd say probably I'm predicting that she probably will do that. I love all the stats you bring us, Chris. I have to say, just going to commend you <laughs> on on that one. Um, yeah, Sabalenka. She was. Um, I mean, you've got to think she's she's not won a Grand Slam semi final, but with with this form that she's in, if not um, now, when? Yeah, if she doesn't, then you just think, what what else can she do? But, you know, she's never lost a Lynette in her career. She thrashed her, yeah, at the, at the Olympics um, when they played last. But, you know, Lynette has taken out four seeds uh, on her way through to the semis. So, oh, you know, we'll, um, it's going to be an interesting one, I think. But, I mean, I'd have to go with Sabalenka, just given the the stats, uh, if you like. Um, not that stats, you know, stats, stats don't necessarily tell the full picture, do they? Um, but, yeah, nice for Vekic to get to this stage, but just didn't have, enough um on the day against against Sabalenka her serve was not uh 
working for her and she felt uh, the pressure coming down from from Sabalenka. Um, but on the other side, we have uh, another Belarusian through. So Belarus doing very nicely in terms of tennis players, not that they're representing their country here. They are still competing as neutral athletes. Um, Victoria Azarenka through to the semis. Uh, obviously, she's two-time champion here. Uh, so she'll be very pleased to, to be back after 10 years uh, since her last uh, last time in the semifinals, which which also seems seems crazy. I think that would have been when she last won it, 2013. So uh, perhaps this bodes well. Perhaps she's another... Um, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't know if she's been in the semis when, when she hasn't won it. If she's sort of like Djokovic, if she gets to the stage, she goes on to win. I'm not sure. Um, perhaps that's one for stat, stats, Chris, to uh, to bring us later on. Um, but Chris, what did you make of Victoria Azarenka? She was straight sets over Jesse Pagula, um, who was mine and Joel's pick for the tournament. Um, it was quite a comfortable win in the end. Yeah, I mean, I was very pleased um, that you guys didn't get that from a collector set perspective. Um, that was very <laughs> oh, important. I'm sure to me. you were, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, the amount of face I've lost for the fact that I thought it would be a straight set, sort of uh, very um, simple Pagula win, I kind of was bigging her up as it seems like she's kind of established herself at this level. She seems to be taking it all in her stride. And then she went into meltdown on the Unforced Errors count. So. That in itself, I think, is um, something that really did. Why do you think that really happened? Some... Mm, I think they have a very close friendship. And so I think that there's um, someone who knows your game that well. And Azarenka is such a good problem solver and so great at asking the difficult questions and making it hard for someone to beat her and making them really beat her rather than her beat herself. I think it's just a case where... The margins are very small. Azarenka is moving phenomenally well for a 33-year-old, almost the best I've seen her move. Um, and a player like Pagula, if you keep on getting balls back and she's a bit off or you keep on giving her a ball she's not enjoying, um, that, that can kind of lead itself to a bit of a meltdown. And on the stats front, um, Kim, in Australia, I can confirm that once Victoria Azarenka has made the semifinals, she has not lost the tournament. Um, Thank Thank you, but Chris. If it was the quarterfinals, the stakes that would be a raised. different story. It would be a different story. She's lost three quarterfinals um, and then taken home the title twice. So is this a foregone conclusion? Ooh. I mean, I mean, yeah, Azarenka, no doubt, had a, a great, you know, put in a great performance, maybe even definitely roll, I want to say roll back the years, roll back the decade probably is more apt. But um, yeah, what what do you make of, of Jesse Pagula now that she is, Zero and five in Grand Slam quarterfinals. It's, dare I say, Andre Rublev-esque uh, consistency to get to Grand Slam quarterfinals, but hasn't really been able to make that breakthrough. Even as the the third seed here coming in, um, you know, with confidence, playing really, really well, um, just not able to, to get it done. And I think, it, it, is it fair to say that Azarenka's although maybe she'd not have displayed the level Pagula has been at more consistently, is it fair to say Azarenka's ultimate level is is higher and that's what got her over the line so convincingly and, you know, has shown Pagula really, actually there's more work to be done here if you really want to be taken seriously as a, as a Grand Slam contender. Yeah, I'd agree. I think on, on their day, best, you know, playing their best tennis, Azarenka wins 
um and when when she executes her sort of uh, you know aggressive kind of game plan it's often in the execution we've seen days where azarenka goes off the boil but it was actually pagula who was the one that was that sort of out of sorts in this match and yeah i i think um obviously me and you predicted her for the title and if if we are sort of considering her to be similar to something like an andre rublev then i would never have predicted rublev for the title so it almost seems a bit funny a bit silly really but um I don't know what it is she needs to do to kind of get to that next bit because she is kind of falling into this trap of, yeah, she's very consistent getting to quarters, but ultimately falling short um, when she comes up against someone who, you know, is just going after the ball, executing it and kind of going from strength to strength. So um, I don't know if she's, her game is big enough. Um, and uh, I think she's going to have to do a lot of work. I mean, it's interesting you say that because you you look at the you look at who is left in the in the draw: Azarenka, Sabalenka, and who we're going to get on into a set: Rabakina. There are some of the biggest hitters in the game, and you do wonder if you look at Jessie Pagula is her is her game as big as those sorts of players? No. Does it need to be in order to maybe become part of that that Grand Slam question and that be more of a credible debate you probably say yes she plays smart competent tennis and i think mm. against a lot of players before the fourth round it works she's great at the net she's great at approaching she's got a good serve and when she's timing the ball well she's a very very good ball striker so she's definitely got the game to cause problems for people but you can't really ignore the fact that i mean she's had far is it four quarterfinals out of the last five grand slams and then at Wimbledon, she didn't play a grass court mm. leading tournament yeah. and still made the third round. So it's an all court game, but doesn't really yeah, pierce. It is, yes, exactly. If she was in a, a yeah a Virtua tennis game or a topspin <laughs> game, it would say all. She'd court, be like the Mario in Mario Kart. Yes, exactly that. Yeah, she's the <laughs> the base player. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Obviously, Azarenka now through to the semi. She's got Rabakina, uh, the reigning Wimbledon champion, who came through against Ostapenko. Uh, again, straight set, 6-2, 6-4. So, you know, backing up that that win over Iga Sviontek. Um, We know that Rabakina can, can bring it, you know, to a tennis court when it matters the most. You don't you don't win Wimbledon if, if you're not capable of doing that. Um, and this was, again, quite, quite a quick quarterfinal, you know, None of the course finals have really set the world alight, I have to say. Um, they've all been quite quite straightforward in, in their own way. And Rebecca kind of just took control of this match um from the off really and and you know, it's, it's quite routine really, um, as it as it went on. Um but Chris, what what did you make of Rebecca? And I think Rebecca and Azarenka's a quite an interesting matchup for me, and I'm I'm quite torn as to who might might win that one. Yeah, I think it certainly set up a tasty clash because you've almost got um, Azarenka, who's the, the, one of the best returners and counterpunchers in the game against a big hitter who doesn't have the option to defend, really. So it's kind of the the perfect sort of um, uh, opposites in, in game and in style. And uh, one shows a lot of emotion, one shows a lot of grit. The other one is almost quite serene and had, did, obviously didn't celebrate winning Wimbledon. She just very calmly walked towards the net. So um opposites tend to make for very entertaining matches um and it was pretty entertaining i'd say this of the semi-final of the quarterfinals i did particularly enjoy because ostapenko was competing at a high level this one was a high level from both and it was won um not lost from an unforced error's perspective which i did enjoy and i think <laughs> ostapenko could be very pleased with this 
I enjoyed that match point save when I think Rebecca oh, hit like iconic. a really hard first serve and Ostapenko just hit what looks like a really easy double-handed backhand down the line. It was just fantastic. It's amazing. She just, every single point, it is just like, it's factory reset um, <laughs> when she's playing well and it doesn't seem to matter um, what's going on there. But I, I was pleased that... Um, Rebecca got through this one because, as you talked about, the whole Wimbledon no point situation, um, it does make a bit of a mockery of the ranking systems, and it's a bit of a, a difficult for, a difficult year for her. Um, well, it's, I mean, it's interesting the, of the semi finalists. We've got uh, you know a Russian obviously playing for Kazakhstan in in Rebecca and two Belarusians. Mm. I know if if Wimbledon they the Belarusians weren't present at last year's event, but. It's hard to keep these players away, and they're they're showing at the Australian Open. They, you know, whether you like it or not, they're still a force to be reckoned with. Well, exactly. I bet I bet a lot of people aren't very happy about uh, three of the four, you know, the the nationalities. But mm. that's you know that's not at all anything to, you know, it's not their fault. We can't, you know, they're entitled to play. So, but I'm sure some people are up in arms about it. But um, you know, we've got our we've got our semi final lineups um for, for the men and the women. Quick one. Quick, well, not one word, but who who is the fight? Where am I going with this, guys? I think I clearly need to get off um, to go to the cinema. You're just too well, excited to I, give your own my, predictions. I can't speak. I'm just so excited to predict. Yeah, Kim, I've got three minutes, please. We've got to make it quick. <laughs> the credits are starting. Yeah, Chris has got to get to the cinema. <laughs> we don't want you going in late, tripping over in the dark, and your popcorn flying everywhere. Actually, I kind snacks. of do. Can we just draw this out much longer, please? <laughs> I yeah, don't know what's to... going on anyway, so why not? <laughs> <laughs> right, so I'm going to ask each of you what we think is going to happen in the women's semi-finals and what final we're going to get come Saturday. Joel, kick us off. Azarenka in two, Sabalenka in two. Oh, so an all-Belarusian final. Chris, do you agree? I think Rabakina uh, in two and I'm going to go Sabalenka in two. Three? Three. Ooh, three. three. Oh, back oh, okay. to the net, getting a set. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go... Oh, do I do... Oh, I'm going to go Sabalenka in two, but I think it will be... I don't think it'll be a whitewash. Um, And back in her in three? Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. That's very, very tough That's to do. Cool. And the men's semi-finals, I'm feeling a lot more confident about. Um, <laughs> Djokovic sits past for me. What about you, Chris? That's actually what we all predicted at the start of the tournament. And we did ask on Twitter about this one. And um, 64% of people believe that it will be a, a Djokovic will win the title. Uh, and Tsitsipas had 29%. And then with a combined 6% was Tommy Paul and Kachanov. So I think it's pretty clear who Tennis, yeah. week, uh, tennis Weekly listeners think it. So Kim, how many sets? How many oh. sets Djokovic pulled Tsitsipas Kachanov? Three for Djokovic. Great sets, yes. <laughs> four for Sitsipas. Four for Sitsipas, I'd agree. I'm going to go Djokovic in four. Djokovic four. in four. And I'm going to say Kachanov in five. Wow. He's lost the plot. He's lost the plot. I've lost the plot. <laughs> and I'm, maybe I'm just saying that to make things interesting. But uh, yeah, I know the I know it feels like the writing is on the wall for a, a Djokovic Sitsipas Roland Garris reunion down under but um yeah I'm, mm. I'm gonna suggest maybe shake things up I think catching off just is very underappreciated in my book so uh I think he maybe could spring a surprise well you're in the three percent Joel three percent of people thought catching <laughs> off so 
That, that just about <laughs> makes sense. I thought more than 64% would pick Djokovic for the title. So I'm quite intrigued by that. Um, but let's just have a quick look at what else is going on. Um, no Brits feature in the doubles, uh, unfortunately. Uh, well, the men's doubles semis are happening tomorrow. Uh, but yeah, the likes of Joe Salisbury and, and Neil Skupski have they've fallen by the wayside. So um, not looking great on that front. However, Alfie Hewitt is in the wheelchair singles semifinal and uh, Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed are in the uh, wheelchair double semifinal. So we hope that they will bring home some titles uh, for for the for Great Britain. Um, just on other results, a collector set. Um, all of the six players that we uh, we picked for for this edition of Collector Set, uh, with the help of uh, one of our lovely listeners as well, um, they're all out. So we do have kind of kind of results. Um, we have four players on two correct picks. So there will be a tiebreaker question coming your way uh, over the next couple of days. So that uh, is one of those players is me. Um, but we've also got Laura Busby, James Edwards, and. At Sears five four three two one or five three four two one, I should say, uh, uh, on social media. So we have a, a tie of four. Um, so yeah, just keep your eyes peeled because we'll be coming, um, coming and asking you a, a very important tiebreak question to settle that. Um, but yeah, James and Laura, you were one of only three people to get Gorda correct. So well done. And Sears only one of two people to get Pagula correct. So yeah. Well done, everyone, for for taking part. And well done, Kim. We have to say it, Joel. Well done, Kim. <laughs> Begrudgingly, <laughs> yes. Well done. For you. Yeah, me and yes. me and Chris are on zero, and I'm I'm I've heard from the the Kim household that there have been some booby prizes being being made or concocted for myself and and Chris, given our our such low scoring, well zero scoring. Uh, results uh, for class zero between us yeah well one of our <laughs> one of our lovely listeners aka my dad mike mckenzie big shout out um had some spare wooden spoons going uh, handy so he's written our names on and added some glitter so at least we're like sparkly um and so we do actually genuinely each have our own dedicated wooden spoon now but i think i'm gonna retire mine uh, for now because i actually didn't do too badly um but I'm gonna make sure each of you get your your spoons. And listeners, we're gonna be putting those up at some point, no doubt, on our social media. So if you wanna have a look at the fable tennis weekly wooden spoons. The spoons of shame. The spoons of shame, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the semi-finals and finals action to come from Melbourne. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email us on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website, www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Friday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our semi-finals catch-up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.